Support for this podcast is provided by Cressa. Cressa is the occupier's champion, the world's premier corporate real estate advisory firm, exclusively serving startup businesses and major global organizations alike. As a Portland pillar for over 25 years, Cressa partners with its clients throughout the entire project lifecycle, from workplace strategy and discovery through the deal transaction and project management delivery of space. Cressa partners without conflict and applies integrated expertise to make your business better. Go to cressa.com Portland to connect with the Portland advisory team. From that cast creative, I'm Dan Bruton, and this is the PDX Executive Podcast. A show where I talk with inspiring leaders who are shaping the future of Portland, Oregon. Every week, I sit down with business executives, startup founders, and community leaders to dive into their career journey and get insights into the impactful work they're doing in our slice of the great Pacific Northwest. Hey everyone, you're listening to the PDX Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Bruden. On today's episode is a leader that I've been fortunate enough to get to know over the years. I'm excited to have her. Uh, Carol Cruz, welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be with you. So I guess I just want to walk through your whole career because it's been amazing. But we first met uh, a while ago when I ran an event when you were at Coca-Cola. And so this was like 2010 or something. Probably, yeah. And, And, you know, you've, You've had different um, CMO roles over the uh, those years and just great leadership roles. So for the folks that maybe don't know you here in Portland, do you mind just giving a short overview of who you are and we'll go from there? Yeah, actually, it's interesting. I started in corporate finance out of college. I uh, I was an international relations major. I was going to sit for the foreign service exam. Oh, and wow. I actually, yeah, I wanted to work for the foreign service, you know, maybe be the ambassador someday okay. to some great country. And I spent a summer working for a computer software company. And I was like, oh, this business world is cool. <laughs> My parents were educators. So I didn't really know anything about business. I'm okay. like, oh, I like this. Huh. I'm, I'm not bad at it. Mm-hmm. So I didn't sit for the foreign service exam. And then where do you go when you're a liberal arts major, but you want to go into business? You do a bank training program. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and so with my other liberal arts friends who went and did a bank training program, um, I was a commercial lender. I worked in LA. Um, I worked in the garment district. Okay, yeah. So I did work with a lot of apparel manufacturers and importers, as well as cool. other small manufacturing companies, which was an amazing place to start your business world because I was a middle market lender. So that meant companies were like five to 150 million in sales. I didn't know you had this finance background. Yeah. And actually, you know, most marketers should actually start in finance because that gave me this foundation and and you're going to hear this theme Mm -hmm. on how businesses are successful. How do you make money? How do you lose money? Who is your target audience? What is the product you're selling? How do you get them to buy more? And when you're lending to those companies, you're looking at their entire business and their ability to succeed and sustain or not. And you're actually in your training is you are taught that companies don't pay you back loans. People do. You are actually trained on how to assess people, I guess I would say. You know, a lot of it is your gut, but is that person also going to want to pay the bank back. So these are these things. I was 21 years old. Yeah, yeah. I was learning so much wow. that has I realized was an amazing foundation that served me well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that for three years, but I got a little um, 
bored, I guess, because mm-hmm. I had this creative side. Right. That just, you know, finance is interesting, but you don't get creative in finance. That's frowned upon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's probably um, a good thing, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. So I decided maybe some business education would be helpful. Went back and got my MBA at University of Southern California mm-hmm. and really focused on marketing, consumer behavior, things like that. Okay. Because uh, I had kind of that strong finance background, yeah. organizational yeah. development strategy. And out of that, I got recruited by the Clorox company, which is a great place to start. Classic brand. I was going to say, this this is like that brand management track, right? Yep. Craft, Clorox, not glamorous products. I was in laundry and home cleaning. Okay. Nothing glamorous. I know how to get wine out of your carpet, you know, (laughs) really helpful helpful, things like that. But um, I owned my P&L. Some brand companies, you actually don't own your P&L. Mm-hmm. So I was really more like a general manager. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I worked on Clorox too. I changed manufacturing plants. I repalletized product. Hmm. And I did all the marketing. Yeah. So that was, again, this, this theme of I was a business person who also did marketing. And then I got bored, I hate to say. Or maybe it was the lure of Silicon Valley. Okay. Because I was in Oakland. Okay, so you're right there, yeah. So I was the second person in the company, I think, ever to leave for a tech company. At that time, that was yes, like, at that time. What are you so doing? that was 93, <laughs> 1993. Okay. okay. And so um, I did three startups in Silicon Valley. I had all three experiences. Wow. The first one went under. Okay. It was great. I was on maternity leave. So I got to collect at least unemployment while I was on maternity leave. Mm-hmm. Um, the second one was in digital imaging right at the time. Mm. I know it's, I can barely remember these days mm. and I'm older than you, <laughs> when you did not have a digital camera, right. let alone your phone. Yeah. Um, and so that was the start of what do I do with my printed photos and what do you mean? Why would I want photos on my computer? Right, right. And so we did both like photo scanners as well as um, software to help you know what to do with photos okay. on your computer. Yeah. And um, we went public. And so I was there. What Storm was the name Te- of the company? Storm Technology. Storm, okay. Uh, in three and a half years, uh, I went from employee 27 and we went public. And then we ultimately filed Chapter 11 because our Taiwanese supplier was dumping our product unbranded oh, wow. in the U.S., which is against the law, but yeah. it put us out of business. Was so, this like mid-90s still mm, then? Yeah, that would have been um, 98. Then. Okay. So right before kind of the right before the <laughs> Right before the big bubble. Yeah. Actually, yeah. It, was, it was a good time to be out of work, perhaps, I would mm. say. But I learned a lot. In that three and a half years, I probably could have skipped my MBA. Mm-hmm. because it was the growth side, but I learned so much about leadership and culture on the downhill side. No one wanted to leave this company. Hmm. No one left. People, you, we were public, you couldn't publicly trade a company, you couldn't say much. No one wanted to go because it was the, such a unique team company culture. And just that's probably the scrappiness of being in a startup yeah, and all that. And, and just everyone loved each other. No one wanted to leave, which yeah. was sucked because I had to fire, yeah. like you had to lay off each person. Um, but, you know, amazing learning, especially I, I worked for an incredible um, CEO, Bill mm. Krause, unlearned so much from him. Mm. And then the um, head of engineering and I started a company called Rocket Cash. It was a way to shop online without a credit card. There was no PayPal. So how did you, it's time. And yeah, <laughs> there was no PayPal. And we knew that teenagers wanted to participate in e-commerce, but they always had to pull mom or dad over to put a credit card in and have a conversation about what they were buying yeah. that they didn't have to if they just went to the, to the store. Right. Uh, and 
So uh, I think it was about 18 months after we started, we got bought by the Coca-Cola company. So this is, I didn't realize that. It's a good story, huh? And so you you come into Coca-Cola having this digital experience and they're like, what do we do? Uh, and you just were there perfectly at the time where this rise of digital marketing was yeah. happening, right? Yeah, they actually had an e-ventures group. Okay. I believe we were the only acquisition okay. they did. Okay. Certainly the only kind of consumer focused acquisition. Yeah. And at that time, um, my team and I had worked uh, with the agency on building the first Sprite.com website. Okay. And then we did this on pack loyalty program where you'd get a Sprite, you'd enter a code, and you got between five cents and a dollar worth of rocket cash. Hmm. And so it was this great loyalty program because yeah. you got. Rocket cash, so you would, you know, it was a right. mix, you know, five cents, 10 cents, 25, 50, up to a dollar. And you could accumulate your rocket cash money. You hmm. could supplement it with your own money. And we had the top 100 e-commerce sites at the time with a teenage skew, but like Amazon and, you know, but also. Awesome. Yeah. So I also did a similar deal with Nestle. So you could combine your Nestle Rocket Cash and your Sprite Rocket Cash. So it was almost like you're this startup within Coca-Cola. Yeah. So that happened when I was still Rocket Cash. Then we got bought. Yeah. And so we were still in Silicon Valley. And so I, people were like, well, hey, um, you know, this brand needs a website. You know, there's this girl, Carol Cruz. Maybe she could help us. Then um, the CEO of Coca-Cola made a big $80 million commitment, um, you know, a golf course deal with Steve Case of AOL <laughs> back when AOL advertising was really big. Yeah. Um, and so that's he came back and like, hey, great news. You know, I made this big commitment. And then everyone in, in Atlanta was like, Anyone know how to do online advertising? Nope, nope, nope. There's this girl in uh, Mountain View. Maybe she knows how to do it. And that's literally at that point. Then we got were bought, and so we brought digital into the Coca Cola company, um, and did you know we did the first advertising, and then there was no one to do the creative, so we did the first creative mm. for the advertising. Did you move to Atlanta then? Sure. Yeah, yeah, eventually after okay. a couple years. Um, we we moved to Atlanta. I hired a whole Atlanta-based team, right. and then this became a big deal. Yep. Grew, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so it was like being in an incredibly well-funded startup, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right, mm -hmm. with a great company and amazing brands. But we were a startup. There was no budget. The brands didn't have digital budgets. So I was selling a lot internally to say, no, really. And I, but yep. what was great is it's so much more measurable. So I had these metrics that could sh show, you know, I drove traffic into the store, I drove purchase, I, you know, drove certain actions. Mm -hmm. And that helped people f trust the accountability of digital. And at that time, were there some, you know, traditional marketers that pushed back? Kind of? Oh, I was the lowest paid salesperson in the company. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you, I felt like I walked around with a tin cup. Mm -hmm. And um, we joked. I, I'd say, you know, sometime in the 30s, um, maybe it was the 40s, there were these people going, no, really, TV, it's here to stay. <laughs> right. It's not yeah. a fad. And everyone's like, no, yeah, yeah, we I'm going to stick with my radio. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I we used to joke about that because people didn't understand. They thought it was a fad. They didn't understand how it worked. And that just meant, you know, 
test and learn, test and learn, show the results. Mm-hmm. But it, um, but being the Coca Cola company, we got to like we did the first ever rich media ad units with Yahoo, right? right. We got to be on that bleeding leading edge, mm-hmm. um, and the company is amazing learning culture. And so while you had to sell to get budget uh-huh. people wanted to learn and then the sharing was incredible and we had a great global community and then so we took learnings like mobile in asia and and took those learnings to help accelerate all the coca-cola brands mobile use right yeah. so you know that's the great thing about a really multinational company company is the learning in different regions and accelerates success everywhere. Absolutely. And it was at this time again, where this rise of like head of digital marketing title yeah. started to come in vogue yeah. and all, you know, all these digital pioneers on yeah. the front. So yeah. you, you did that and then you made a jump to ESPN. So tell me about that. Cause when I saw that, you know, this is a, a not too long ago, but I was super excited for you, but how I know you always probably had a love of sports. Yeah. Um, how were you recruited for that? And what was, when you got there, what were some of the big things you needed to tackle? Well, it was interesting because for Coca-Cola, I was there, well, as an employee, I was there nine and a half years. And then I almost, you know, a year and a half before that yeah. doing work. Uh-huh. I was digital Carol, right? While I had been trained at Clorox, et cetera, and, and, and the three startups of doing all, all marketing mm-hmm. at the Coca-Cola company, I was digital. And so I think I had kind of hit my ceiling, but I loved it so much. I didn't even think about going. Mm-hmm. But when you work at companies like Coca-Cola, you do a ton of sports marketing. Mm-hmm. So I grew up in State College, Pennsylvania, which is in the middle of the nowhere, Penn State, Penn State football. I argue that at that time, it is a town where five-year-old girls knew the game of football. Mm. Because that's what we lived and died for football. It's a culture. And so I love that, right? I love sports. My dad loved golf and baseball. And so we watched sports. I played sports. And then at Clorox and especially at Coca-Cola, I did a ton of sports marketing. Right. And so, um, so I got a phone call from a recruiter who happened to be the brand manager I first worked with. He was on the Sprite brand when I was little Rocket Cash. Interesting. And so um, Dick Patton is his name. And he left Coca-Cola and went and did a little startup. And then he ended up at Egon Zender. Oh, okay. And he was leading the CMO practice there Mm -hmm. uh, as a recruiter. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, my cell phone rang and I picked it up and it was this familiar voice. And he said something like, well, the seventh person gave me your name. I knew I was going to call you anyway. (laughs) I was like, I'm sorry, who is this? And he told me about the, you know, CMO at ESPN. And I was like, wow, that'd be so cool. Mm-hmm. But I, as I, so I said, well, you know, that's really interesting, da da da. But of course, that would entail a move. Because they were in Connecticut, right? They, Bristol, although yeah. most of the marketing and sales teams are in Manhattan. Yeah, okay, in the city. Okay. But that would entail a move and my family and my kids right. up to New York. And yeah. so, you know, I went home and talked to my husband. He's like, hey, if you can get that job, go for it and we will all love it. And it was, you know, a long process. And, and that was uh, year, that year yeah, year was that? 2010. Okay, so this is kind of around the time where they've really, they really started all these digital properties. Maybe they had it going a little no, bit. No, ESPN was really early, early digital. Okay. And you know, that's, remember ESPN is 80% owned by the Disney company. That's right, yeah, yeah. So, and then ABC as well. Yeah, yeah. 
ABC, not as digitally focused, but, you know, Disney got into digital fast, not web as well, but just technically. Mm -hmm. But ESPN was leading, I mean, especially mobile, one of the best first great mobile apps um, with the website. And so they were a very um, digitally focused company, but the marketing was not. You did a lot of TV an iconic, awesome, you know, this is Sports Center, great TV, some really good print, maybe a little radio, but ironically, not that much digital. Hmm. And not as much like really data-driven segmented. And and I'm a wonky data geek. Um, I believe in the marriage of art and science yeah. strongly. Great data-driven storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's kind of why they hired me for that. And... They knew the day would come, they were just way early, when cord cutting would be a big deal and people would stop subscribing to cable and no longer having ESPN and then there would be a direct-to-consumer play. So this is part of their strategy, bringing you in. And And that was, they brought me in. Now remember, this is 2010. So now we're 10 years later. They were actually getting ready and prepared for it and thought it would happen earlier than it is. You know, really almost 10 years they were setting that because they knew that I could do that. So anyway, I mean, it's an amazing company. I mm-hmm. still prefer to watch any sports on ESPN than any other network because I think it's the yeah. best production value and the best sportscasters. Yeah, so it sounds like you had a great, you had a gr- great job, ESPN. Yes. Selfishly, I loved when you moved out to Portland. Yeah. But tell me about that because you did you did have a, um, a transition between there. You, you were a CMO for Tough, Tough Mudder, Mudder yeah. right? And then how did this role for Cambia come up? So it's interesting. We, our kids uh, were, uh, well, Doug was in college and Kat was a senior in high school. Okay. And all of a sudden we went, I was looking for jobs in New York and da, da, da. And all of a sudden we're like, wait, you know, wait, wait, we don't want to live in New York. We don't want to live here. We moved here for ESPN. Yeah. But our kids are going to both be in college. Where do we want to live? And um, for the first time since I guess we got married, we actually thought about where we wanted to live Mm -hmm. versus a job moving us. And we wanted to get back to the West Coast for a myriad of reasons. California didn't really make sense uh, anymore. And so we were looking at, you know, the Seattle, Portland area. And and then Cambia, you know, I got a call from a recruiter who was talking about healthcare and I was like, nah, no, 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 not healthcare. I didn't even really know anything about it, but it was just not in my thought of what I would be doing. And then he ta- started talking about how it's a mission-driven company and it's all about transforming healthcare for people, um, a big $9 billion non-for-profit. And I was kind of thinking like that, this next job, I'd love to really give back. Mm-hmm. Now, Coca-Cola and ESPN, Disney are amazing, amazing corporate citizens, but you know, maybe giving back. So I was like, okay, I didn't really think about healthcare, but this cause-driven company, and they were looking for someone to help transform the company. And that's- what I've done is this transformation. You're right. Um, more digital data transformation mm-hmm. than consumer transformation, but transformation. And so I came out and talked to them. I was really impressed with the team at Cambia. Totally believe in the cause and just, you know, fell in love with Portland. So that yeah. that's how it came to be. And now you've um, ingrained yourself in Portland. Yeah. You're really involved in the community and... You know, what do you, uh, we'll get into Portland more yeah, in yeah, a little yeah. bit, but since you left Cambia, you 
you could have gone somewhere else. Oh, yeah. I mean, like we were talking before we recorded, your phone rings <laughs> yeah. occasionally, yeah. actually more often yeah. than you would like yeah, maybe sometimes with jobs. Yeah, my phone rings an amazing amount, which is um, flattering. Mm-hmm. You know, you never know. I say never say never. Yeah. Um, so, not looking to find the next full-time job, mm-hmm. but never, you never know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what about Portland that, you know, just business-wise here, it's exciting to you. Of it staying is. here and, you know, talk about some of the other things sure. involved, like yeah. the Oregon Venture Fund. and Yeah. So one of the things I always knew I wanted to do was be on boards. And I've been on a private equity back board for almost eight years now, okay. an ad tech company in New York. Oh, okay. And really love that. And what I really, company is that? It's called uh, Unified. Okay. It's in the social space, social okay. measurement. Yeah. And, um, and I really enjoyed that. And so I wanted to get on a publicly traded company board. Um, well, a lot of companies don't want their employees to do that. Mm-hmm. And Cambia was super supportive. Oh, um, oh, great. And so one of the things I did while I was at Cambia is I kind of became a student of how do you get on a publicly traded board? And mm. that's a whole other story. Um, yeah. But I did. And okay. I got on the board of Valvoline. Right. Um, which is a Fortune 1000 mm-hmm. board on the New York Stock Exchange. Mm-hmm. I also wanted to really be able to commit myself to my community. And... Um, Atlanta's a big city and I had little kids and a big job. And yeah. so I was working mom. Yeah. I, I really couldn't do much for my community. Same at ESPN because everyone commutes. I lived up in Westchester, so and you know, still had a son in college and a daughter in high school. So I when moving to Portland, one of the things I was really excited about is being able to actually commit and actively participate in my community. Yeah. And so I did that, and uh, I've been on the board of Pioneer Courthouse Square, mm. which is a public-private partnership. Yeah, which is fascinating to yeah. be on the board of a space. You know, Portland's living room, right. the main square in downtown Portland. I didn't know it was like a private. It uh, is okay. It's it's funded okay. both by City of Portland Parks and Recreation, okay, um, as well as private funds, okay. And, um, and you know, it's all about community mm-hmm. and about a physical space mm-hmm. versus a service. Mm-hmm. So that's been fascinating. I think I might be on my fourth year. Okay. I can't recall. <laughs> um, and then I also got involved with the Go Red for Women American Heart Association organization here for Oregon and Southwest Washington. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, you, you and I have probably a lot of mutual uh connections that yeah. are on part of that so can you tell a little bit about you, you bet yeah so um american heart, heart association everyone knows yeah what that is yeah. amazing um fundraising for primary research for heart health right. as well as education mm-hmm. and so go red for women is specifically about educating women about their heart health it's the number one killer of women People don't realize that. Wow, really? Yeah, it's the number one killer Mm. of women. And so everyone, and most of the research was actually done on men. Okay. And so they're trying to get more research on women. Uh, A heart attack or a stroke manifests differently in women than men Hmm. frequently. You know, you men, you're that clutch and then yeah. my left and yeah. pain down yeah. my left arm. And, yeah. you know, you that's what you see. And actually women can have, feel nauseous and lightheaded or feel back pain. And, mm-hmm. you know, people don't realize that. Yeah. And so, um, so I've, I was actually involved before back East. Okay. And, um, and so I'm, I'm involved in that organization and it's about both men and women being educated 
to help the women in their lives. Yeah. It's a, it's a great organization. Yeah, and they do a lot of great events. Yes. And people go, so. Yeah. And then, you know, it's kind of full circle, like we were talking before we recorded too, of the startups and now with you and Oregon Venture Right. Fund. So talk about the evolution sure. of, the, of OVF. Yeah, so kinda... um, Oregon Venture Fund, and people call it OVF, so sometimes you see that, yeah. Oregon Venture Fund. I think at one point it might have been called Oregon Seed Fund. Uh-huh. Um, that was before um, my husband and I got involved. Okay. And Dave and I, you, you, um, it is a venture fund um, funded by people who live in Oregon to um, invest in Oregon-based startups. So it is a community venture fund. Mm-hmm. And that's unique because it's all about helping Oregon-based startups. I love that. And they only have six full-time professionals you don't just um, passively invest in the fund. You participate. Okay. And so you don't just give your money and you hope you get a good return. It's not like a syndicate of, do you, it, like, nope. here's in the hopper. It, you okay. listen to pitches. You mm-hmm. go to pipeline meetings. You participate in due diligence. Mm-hmm. Um, you might be an advisor to a startup or on a board. You might help find, you know, startup companies yeah. uh, who are looking for funding. Hmm. And Oregon Venture Fund primarily focuses on like seed funding, maybe Series A. And then if investing early, they might continue with future investments as a participant. I see. Um, So, yeah. So I... We got involved. This is our third year, uh-huh. and um, it's historically done more software and tech stuff. Okay. And my husband is much more of a techie engineer, marketing, sales, go-to-market, mm-hmm. product marketing mm-hmm. person. So that's great. Mm-hmm. The startup scene in Portland is changing, and there's a lot more food and beverage. Yeah. Which, of course, with my background um, at Coca-Cola is nice, and a lot more consumer-focused companies, whether it's products or services. And do you think that's just – um, a tradition of some of the companies that have been built here, or is it a new? Why? Why is I, that? Yeah. I, well, the tech makes sense because you know you have companies, you know, like Intel and Mental Graphics, yeah. and I mean, yeah. you have great technology companies. Yeah. Um, and it's so expensive in the Bay Area and Seattle that people are coming to Portland with those technical skills and deciding they want to start up right here, mm-hmm. where it's less expensive. Mm-hmm. The food and beverage. I think you get a few, right? Like mm-hmm. a salt and straw. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. like a bamboo sushi, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Or Dave's Killer Bread, right. et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have success on their own or successful exits. And that kind of begets other success. And then you get people who know, in Tillamook, like they've moved their main office now yeah. into town. And so then you need to, you start having, you can't do a startup if you can't hire people with that kind of experience. And so, there's actually a real shortage of consumer packaged goods brand hmm. people in this area. I didn't know that. Okay. Um, but, you know, it, it pulls people in. Yeah. And so I also think there's just a lot more diversity of business overall in Portland. Yeah. And Portland's a bigger city. Yep. And we're a foodie town, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, food, beer, wine, kombucha. You name it, right? Yeah. And so that, but also consumer services, right? In general, the we've moved from kind of do it yourself to do it for me. Mm-hmm. So that service uh, economy is growing everywhere. And are as there? Well. Yeah, and I mean, I, I've seen I'm seeing a lot of these like uh, CPG companies starting, or just some people who've had success, like a Jamie Schmidt now, yeah. like 
you know, giving back and investing. Yes. So are, are there, can you say a couple of companies that you've, you've invested in here locally? Me or? personally or Oregon Venture Fund? OBF, yeah. Um, sure, yeah. Salt and Straw. Yeah, okay. Um, Salt and Straw is interesting. Last year, the fund invested $2 million. Okay. And then there was an opportunity for the investors in the fund to do what they call a sidecar investment. You can personally invest. Oh, okay. Um, and so there was two million of OVF investment and two million of individual investing. So four million. Okay. Um, do you know Green Zebra? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Green Zebra, amazing concept and so perfect for this community, right? Where most convenience stores, little small bodegas, mm -hmm. I don't know what you call them in Portland. I still call them bodegas <laughs> from New York. New York thing yeah, the yeah. little stores where you can yeah. buy stuff on yeah. the shelf or prepared yeah. food. Yeah. And Green Zebra is about, let's make this healthier. And especially in um, some of the outer communities and maybe some lower socioeconomic communities. Right. You know, there's not as much access to healthier food options. I forgot. I mean, Lisa's been on the podcast. Yeah. And I forget. It's you know, called these like food deserts, right? Yes. Where these. Yeah. These healthy, convenient, yes. not these 7-Eleven Healthy, type. convenient, yeah. and affordable. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, not the hot dog on the roller for four hours, but how about a salad? Yeah. And it isn't the cost of some of our um, healthy or organic mm -hmm. stores. That's expensive for the average person and not in that neighborhood. Right. And so um, Green Zebra just opened its fifth store on Division. Okay. Um, so those are two really, you know, yep. really well-known ones mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. from the food Okay. Um, but you get involved, area. like I said, at a very early stage. Very so early. that's got to be fun to see these oh my gosh. really early stage founders pitching and get a chance to see it come to life. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I think that people were a little surprised at first because they're thinking of me as a marketing and a consumer experience expert and marketing and data. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'm asking all these questions and they were, and then they, then I'm like, well, I did three Silicon Valley startups. So, I've been there. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I know that these are some of the things that trip up. And so, uh, and then I saw working for Tough Mudder, an incredibly successful startup company. Yeah. Um, and so I, it's great because I can take the various pieces of my life yeah. and my slightly non-traditional career mm -hmm. um, journey mm -hmm. and bring these pieces together to, um, well, help Oregon-based startups. Yeah, I mean, we're so, I'm so bullish. I'm, you know, I grew up here. Yeah. And to see all this exciting stuff happen is, uh, it's just thrilling to see us grow. Uh, what are some of the challenges just being here? Um, you know, one of the knocks on Oregon has always been the access to capital has just been, yeah. there's not a lot. Yeah. Um, so, but that's changing a little bit. But, I think that's changing yeah, a lot, yeah, actually, because yeah. there's other private equity funds here in town. Mm -hmm. Um, there's Bend Venture Fund. So, mm -hmm. right, that's even, even the startup scene in Bend is starting to grow as well. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, so I think there's a lot of, right now, the economy is strong, so there is a lot of capital available. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. What I see is so many, so many smart entrepreneurs, either first-time entrepreneurs or um successful entrepreneurs who want to do it again and again. Yeah. And within Oregon Venture Fund, um, there are people in the fund who hit it big and they want to give back they to the community. Mm -hmm. And so they're in the fund and they're sitting in the same meetings I am participating because mm -hmm. they're successful. They wouldn't have to work, mm -hmm. but they love helping other entrepreneurs. And, and have, so it's yeah. this really amazing community and very supportive. Even if OVF 
decides not to invest. Um, there's tons of advice. People still might individually invest or people still help right help the yeah. help the entrepreneur and it's it's a special connection because they want the company to succeed because they're investing it obviously but they also want portland to succeed in oregon totally so, agree right there's that i yeah. love the pride so you yeah. know when you um when you work in new york people are from everywhere yeah and there is a strong sense of new york pride mm -hmm. i mean and i hate to say this sadly um after 9 11 but it just reinvigorated this yeah. new york pride and it's not just a sports pride, right? A lot of cities have a sports pride, but there are cities, Chicago proud, Boston yeah, proud, New York absolutely. proud. I lived in California for 24 years. I never quite felt that same city pride. Part of it is you're spread out. Yeah. It's so expensive. More people are out, you know, with long commutes. Right. Um, but Portland has... Portland Proud is different because Portland's so down to earth. Yeah. It's less in your face, I'll call it in your face Chicago yeah. pride. Yeah, it's the humble Portland. It, it's the humble Portland. Maybe too much, too humble sometimes. And then we saw a little too passive. Yep. Um, <laughs> but, um, I, you know, now I've become this, I've been here five years, I've become this total Portland fan and i'm mm. like shh, shh. Yeah. it rains yeah. all the time yeah, yeah, yeah don't move you there, yeah. definitely don't want to move here <laughs> and you know like you do an amazing hike you're like don't tell anyone mm -hmm. this hike's amazing but please don't put it online so portland yeah totally <laughs> uh well let's transition one of the things i also want to talk about yeah. is you and i both you know uh do events you're part of the cmo club which is a great organization that is national one of the things I know you're passionate about is it's just being with peers yes, and learning and sharing and having that. Yeah. And how important has that been for oh my you career-wise just, but personally too? Um, so there's two sides of it. So there's, I am a huge proponent of the value of one-on-one -on -one mentoring. And I was so fortunate in my life to have incredible people mentor me. And, um, and part of that is always giving back, mm -hmm. right? When mm -hmm. you're in a position to mentor people is giving back. And, um, but the best learning can be with a group of people who are in an environment where you can learn from each other. And so like all of us marketers, I'd go to different events. And when you're Coca-Cola or ESPN, you know, people are following me literally to the ladies restroom to sell me. Like vendors, yeah. Yeah, like, you know, vendors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's their job and that's right. why they're there. Mm -hmm. And I get it, but it's just every once in a while, so you can't speak freely. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, if you're, if you're on stage, there's press there, there's sellers there. Sure. So it's just not this really open exchange mm -hmm. of information. And so um, when I became CMO at ESPN, moved to New York City in 2010, I had never been a CMO. Mm -hmm. I had a team of 155 people. And I only realized in New York, I knew agencies and publishers and vendors. Right. I didn't know other marketers. Yeah. And I was in a new role and I need, wanted people I could learn from. And so someone invited me to a CMO club dinner. Mm -hmm. And Pete Cranick started the CMO club to be a like kind of like YPO oh, for sure. CEOs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it is a club. You pay mm -hmm. a membership mm -hmm. uh, each year. Mm -hmm. You have your local chapter. So you have your local hub of people right. who you can learn from and share ideas. And then you have national summits. And then they'll have the CMO Clubhouse at South by Southwest next month and Can Lions. It's now global. Yeah. So you can 
and you can go to any chapter dinner. So if I was in London, I could go to the London chapter dinner. One thing I want to ask, so Pete and I have crossed paths years ago and he, how does he always get like, he gets really great artists to like play at these. Unbelievable. Like, right? And like, he gets like sports stars. And I'm always like, Un is that his background? No. Like, okay. Cause no. I'm always wondering like, how does no. he get these? Oh, like, and, and I'm, like, I'm telling you like yeah. working for Coca-Cola and ESPN, I thought I've gotten to meet some cool people. Yeah. But then I go to the CMO club summit yeah. and it was Blake Shelton yeah, last time. Yeah, totally. So I'm kind of like. And, and he came to talk about marketing. Oh, interesting. He's an incredible cool. brand person in marketing. That's cool. And he, the deal, he really wasn't going to sing. He was going to come and talk about marketing. Mm. And he's like, I want to learn from y'all about marketing too, because that is part of being an artist. Right. Then there was a fundraiser um, okay. for uh, the CMO Club's charities, Canines for Warriors, okay. and there was a fundraiser. So he played a song, oh, cool. he signed a guitar, he played another song, signed a different guitar, and that ended up getting, you know. Cool, yeah. Silent. So we get amazing artists, and it's just, I think it's because the people who are in that room, mm -hmm. some of these artists want to get in front of those people, because sure, sure. they might do deals. Yeah, that makes sense. Right? Mm -hmm. And others, he just knows so many people. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So that is, that's the fun part of the summit. The yeah. best part for me is there are a lot of ways you can learn about account-based marketing mm -hmm. or whatever the buzzword of mm -hmm. the day is, mm -hmm. your MarTech stack or yeah. reputation management. Yeah. The CMO club, because there's no sellers and no press, is a safe zone and people are so honest and open. And there are over 650 CMO mm -hmm. members. I could reach out anywhere. Yeah, that's cool. But the best is people like, you know, to get career advice or leadership advice or, hey, I'm having this challenge with a CIO and getting that kind of help. Because sometimes you're a little lonely at the top when sure. you're, you know, in the top people. You don't know who mm -hmm. to ask. Mm -hmm. And I have this family of people that I've never not had someone not return an email or a text totally. or a call. Yeah. Nor have I never responded right yeah it's important and just i mean obviously i'm a huge believer because i have my own uh, events right. and i think it's just uh it's important for folks to whatever event or uh, you know membership it is to just be with peers and have those that dialogue that you can yeah. do and that so. i think to me it's a safe zone yeah. of sharing your failures and at Coca-Cola, when I was the head of Global Digital, mm -hmm. we had the, you know, this global community. And when we had, you know, webinars or whatever, and people wanted to share what they were doing, mm -hmm. I was like, you have to share a failure and you can share a success, but you have to share a failure because fail forward, especially if you're leading edge of things, yeah. you, you, of course you're failing. And so that's the same thing at the CML Club. People get on stage with 170 people yeah. and talk about how they messed up and either in their career messed mm -hmm. up and what they learned from it yeah. or how to not prevent that, you know, how to I prevent that. that from happening. I love that. And so that's, if more people would be as open about their failure as their success, I think everyone in all businesses would learn faster. I, yeah, break down those walls, be a little more authentic yeah. and, uh, yeah, I, I think things are going that way. People can be a little more vulnerable and authentic that way, hopefully. Uh, but Carol, I can keep talking to you forever. But I just thanks for doing this. Thanks for staying in Portland. Absolutely, all the stuff you do. I love it. Keep me posted if you do get another job. <laughs> I know it's not in the plan. But. Oh my gosh, you should probably talk to my husband, and he'll be like, "Dan, talk her out of it. Talk so, her out yeah. of it." Yeah, we're going hiking during the week and cool. skiing during mm -hmm. the week. Yeah. Very cool. Haven't had that lifestyle 
um, maybe ever. Right. So, well, it's a good place pretty, to do it here. It's pretty amazing to have the, the balance now. Yeah, awesome. Well, thanks so much. Kelly. You bet. My pleasure. The PDX Executive Podcast is a production of ThatCast, a Portland, Oregon podcast agency that partners with brands to create custom podcasts. You can learn more at thatcast.com. And please take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast as well. 